the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3. Thanks to all of you that are joining us here. If you're watching a little bit later, one request for you, smash that like button. If you're in the chat like so many of uh, our loyal viewers, then uh, welcome once again. Welcome back. And the way that you can join is by subscribing to the Cover 3 Podcast on YouTube. Again, uh, while you're there, hit that subscribe, hit that like button. Today, we have uh, some questions from the big old bag of mail, and it's great because we sort of get a new crop every week, and I've seen that from you. Like at the beginning of the week, everyone, they get to work, and and what's on the top of their mind? What do I want to hear from the Cover 3 podcast mailbag? Because they they fill up on, on Monday and Tuesday. We get great questions, and then we get to tackle them here at the end of the week. You can go leave us a five-star review, and in that review, you put your question. We will add it to the big old bag of mail. That is where today's mailbag questions come from. Uh, we begin with a little bit of news and notes, and I, I think that the um, the headline itself is probably not as interesting as the conversation around Michigan football because the news is that Jim Harbaugh has agreed to a new contract with Michigan. This comes after initially taking a pay cut before the 2021 season. And then, of course, delivering the first Big Ten championship since 2004, a college football playoff appearance, and beating Ohio State for the first time in the Jim Harbaugh era. The time since then has been a little bit rocky. Josh Gaddis off to Miami. Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator, he goes back to the Baltimore Ravens. And on National Signing Day, though he didn't really have any work to do, he still had a top 10 class, Jim Harbaugh goes to interview for the Minnesota Vikings job. He does not receive an offer. He comes back. And so um, we, we can get into the terms, we can get into the, the financial side of this, but to me, it feels a little bit um, a little bit basic. This was like, it wasn't defining the relationship, like DTR, but this was like reestablishing the relationship, right? Like, isn't this Jim Harbaugh saying like, we've been through some highs, we've been through some lows, things have been a little bit rocky in the last 18 months or so. Let's set things moving forward. And so, um, you know, what, what stands out to you about the, the new Jim Harbaugh contract at Michigan? I mean, what's the buyout? Uh, it's not enough to keep it me, is. if I'm an opposing coach, from negatively recruiting you. I can tell you that. It is yeah. not a buyout. It is He's going to be earning. Uh, so he was up at eight, and then we thought he was overpaid, maybe on the hot seat. He takes a pay cut closer down to four. This reestablishes him around the seven range, but you mentioned the buyout, $3 million in 2022, and then it drops. And that's when your buyout is half of your annual salary and it's only going to be going down. It is, uh, it's, it's like how there's no exit fees in the SEC. Have y'all ever known this? Yeah, we got conference realignment talk going on a little bit later too. Yeah, the SEC is like, oh, you want to leave? Sure, I dare you. 
go ahead, walk for that door. So no buyout is an interesting piece of this. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting piece of it, but it's also, it's like the whole situation that we've talked about the entire time with Harbaugh, where it's just, it's it's different with him in that you don't really know what he wants to do. I don't know if he knows what he wants to do all the time. So it's like when you compare it to like any other school, you're like, oh, for Harbaugh, it might just be, they're just, you know, it's both sides are kind of getting what they want. Harbaugh is getting the raise that he wants to get back to like, you know, the what the respect if considering what he did, you know, with the team this year after taking the pay cut, all that kind of stuff. So as far as just having comparable pay compared to other top coaches, but then on Michigan's end, it's like, Hey, if this thing goes in the wrong direction, we can get out of this pretty cheaply if we want to. So I don't think that this, there's anything about this deal that says to me that he's not back and he's not committed to being there and he doesn't want to be there and he's going to go flirting with the NFL again. I don't know. He might, he might not. I don't think this deal says anything about that. And I don't think it says anything about how Michigan feels about having him because he literally interviewed with an NFL job on National Signing Day and then Michigan happily welcomed him back with open arms. So they're clearly happy to have him as long as he wants to be there. So like Bud, you were saying, it's going to get used against him in recruiting, I'm sure. I just don't know how valid it is. How valid the negative recruiting will be? Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm sure somebody's going to buy it, but I'm just saying, I don't know if you pay that much attention to what's happening, if it's going to be, there's a lot of truth behind it. But again, when it comes to recruiting, you don't really need the truth, truth behind yeah. it. Yeah, truth is not all that important in negative recruiting. Just having some factual element as your basis, and then you can kind of spin whatever you want to spin. And then the factual element they'll have is that, hey, in uh, in year four of you playing there, if you sign up for this year, his buyout will be $750,000. He'll make that almost per game that he coaches. Do right? you think so, that's more like the idea that he could get fired? Is that what you're selling on the negative recruiting? No, or I'm saying it, for, him to, for him to leave, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that's what he owes the university. Buyouts have never been a big deal to me when we talk about NFL. I've always been given the impression that because what NFL franchises can spend on coaches, that picking up a, a large buyout for a college coach has never been a hindrance for an NFL team if an NFL team really wants you. Well, NFL teams print money, but... In general, I think college coaches like the top, the, like if you take the top ten college coaches, I, I bet you they make more than the top ten NFL coaches yes. on average. Ooh, um, okay, I'm fairly certain about that. But then again, like the NFL teams have money, like they have more just surplus cash that universities kind of just throw into facilities, right? Because they they're quote unquote nonprofits and they mm-hmm. show they don't make a profit. It is interesting to me how the, the leverage has sort of shifted here, right? Before last year, Michigan had almost all the leverage on Harbaugh. He had done a, a, a fine job there, but the, in the big games, they had not done as well as you would hope relative to like their overall power ratings. This year, they came through. They win the big games. The leverage kind of swings back to Harbaugh, and I was expecting him to get more uh, as far as a base salary, right? But he got $7 million, so 7.0, which is good, obviously. It, that's not top five compensation, I'm fairly sure, right now, when, when Luke Fickle at Cincinnati is now making over five and you got to assume Baylor is probably paying Aranda. I mean, I would guess six plus, given how much money Baylor has. So maybe take like maybe he negotiated for the lower buyout, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. no way Michigan would stick him with that buyout for on on his end uh, in, in exchange for for nothing. So maybe he's like, hey, I'll take a little less money to have a little more flexibility. It's not me reporting that. I'm just trying to figure out how this buyout ended up this low. And then I said, oh, okay, that that number of, of compensation does not start with an eight or a nine. Or a one, and uh, and 
are the Raiders cash poor? John Mack in the chat says that it could be a high buyout. While I was saying NFL teams don't care about buyouts, there might be some organizations that actually don't have that cash. Is that the case? Based on y'all's understanding? I'm, I, I don't know. I have a hard time believing any NFL, NFL franchise is cash poor, especially one who just moved to Las Vegas in a brand new stadium. Maybe they're not as liquid as they want to be, but I don't think if the Raiders needed to pony up a couple million to buy out a coach, they would really not struggle to do that. So, According to MLB commissioner, uh, though, uh, it's oh, better to true. put your yeah. money in the stock market than to own yeah. a baseball team. That's yeah, that is always will always be my favorite thing about professional sports and the college athletic departments about how, oh, no, we're not profitable. No, sir. No, we're we're actually losing money. That's why we do this. It's just for love. It's not the money. Are we going to when, when's the lockout over? <laughs> I don't know. Lock, lockout as, corner. As, as soon as all those poor billionaires who own the small market teams can just scrounge up a few more pennies to pay the players. Yeah, because isn't it the there's all the mid market teams that are getting all of the the cash off the revenue sharing, mm-hmm. but then not spending it on their roster, mm-hmm. and then they're crying poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, MLB teams and small markets were the original NFTs. <laughs> I like that. Um, Koka brings up an interesting point about the age in, in the private chat here, producer Koka. He says. Uh, Hey, Harbaugh turns 59 in December. Only six NFL coaches are, are 60 or older. Uh, his brother will turn 60 in September. Uh, so that'll make seven. Did he miss his window for the NFL? Oh, maybe. It's yeah, possible that this, is, this was it. We are seeing. I mean, coaches at both the college and NFL level, we're seeing it skew younger and younger every single year. Also, um, Clayton Sewell in the chat says that the average t- top 10 NFL coach salary is $8.4 million. And the average top ten college football coach salary is seven point eight, but I don't think that includes private universities, which yeah. really need to be included in this. Um, so, what about the the rest? There, there is also contracts and jobs that have to be assigned and solidified for the future at Michigan. I don't think we'd really broken down. Um, Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss are going to be our co-offensive coordinators. They will share play calling duties, and Jesse Minter uh, is going to be the new defensive coordinator for the Wolverines. I. I have only as much like research as I did after these new, these, this news was announced. I don't have a lot of background on these guys, and I truly don't know what to make of the hires in terms of it being a plus value or something that's not impressive. I, I'm totally neutral on this. I am judging all Michigan coaching success now on the man in charge. I'm putting all this on Harbaugh moving forward and what he can do to be able to uh, organize and, and put together a team in a in a big season with it where I don't think the expectations are going to be lowered, even though I think that our ratings would be lowered. And we, of course we've had some concerns about the team personnel wise defensively that we've already mentioned here on the podcast. Um, one of his jobs is hiring. One of his jobs is deciding what to do with the staff. Do, do y'all have any like thoughts or I- any insight on what we can expect from the, the reworked Wolverine staff? I I mean, I, I don't know much about the offensive coaches and what they're going to do because we haven't seen them do it, but they're internal promotions, so it's not hard to figure out what, what kind of offense they're going to be running. For me, I think Minter is, I mean, he was at Andy last year, but he's also spent a lot of years with the Ravens, and I think that he's kind of along the same. I think I, I think it's going to be very similar to what Mike McDonald was doing. I think there's a lot of the same kind of principles in what he tries to do defensively that McDonald was doing, which is probably what made it so attractive to Michigan. And that way there won't be like an entirely new defensive kind of playbook brought in. It's going to be mostly the same look. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. Uh, Mentor 
look, he he coached for four years, if I'm reading this right, with Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So the last time that that Jim went went to uh, the other Harbaugh, whose name is now escaping me somehow, John John, John Harbaugh. Excuse me, thank you. They're very uh, very odd, strange names. <laughs> uh, the last time he went he went to his brother and was like, "Hey, flip me a DC." Uh, John gave him a guy that worked out really really well. It also helps to have those two hellacious pass rushers that they had. Yes, in his defense, because you could call kind of whatever you wanted on the back end. And then Daxton Hill, yeah, be yeah, exactly, be pretty good. Um, but then Clark Lee. Uh, who obviously is an excellent hiring uh, guy. He, he hired, hired Barton Simmons from this podcast and is a good defensive mind, obviously. He made him his DC there at Vandy. Vandy doesn't have a whole lot of team speed, so I don't really know if you can evaluate totally what he did in one year in a transition at Vanderbilt. But I, I look, it's a guy who grew up around coaching. I'm sure he got his brother's blessing on it because Mentor's dad is Rick Mentor, who coached mm-hmm. uh, at Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah, Cincinnati for a while. Um and because when I first saw the name Mentor, I was like, "Wait a second! Like, which Mentor?" Because Rick Mentor, I think, is still coaching somewhere. He um, is currently an assistant. It's, it's I don't know if he's still there, but it said his last job was in 2020 at Southern Miss as an analyst. Okay. Um, I would check out the Michigan Insider podcast. By the way, I, I don't just throw that out there just to to be a, a you know a network guy. Um, same way, I've, and, and those guys do a really good job there. They they break it all down. I mean, his reporting on the Harbaugh saga was was really good. Like, he didn't jump the gun. He's like, hey, if he's offered, I think he'll take it. Whereas other people were like, hey, he's gone. I was like, well, okay. Like, you know, he still has to be offered. And Sam said, hey, the, the interview's real. To me, that says, like, he's pretty plugged into the program there, the Michigan Insider. And that's, that's a good podcast to listen to if you want more of that. Uh, quickly, keep it in the Big Ten. Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith. Uh, indicated that while there may have been um, some belief or some movement towards going to an eight-game schedule to allow for uh, more flexibility, that the Big Ten was not going to be interested uh, in it. The athletic directors, at least, are are favoring sticking with the current nine-game schedule. You know, some of this comes in the midst of the alliance, where there was a thought that there could be some scheduling agreement between the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. What I took from his statements. Um, was that the individual comment and the isolation of, you know, with our TV partners, we decided that that conference game was more valuable than whatever we were going to get, which is mm-hmm. such a sit down type of moment for the ACC and the Pac-12 for the Big Ten to say, no, actually, what is more valuable to our television partners to make sure that we get the most amount of money is for us to not play uh, a non-conference game against an ACC or a Pac-12 opponent as part of this big agreement, but for us to keep this all in-house so we can keep these massively large alumni bases watching the same games against each other rather than having to introduce uh, someone else to the equation. To be clear. It does give them less inventory. Yes. It just has like a matter of principle. You, you, because although visiting games of those non-conference games are going to end up going to whoever the home team is. Mm -hmm. But correct. Is it worth noting that Front Office Sports uh, reported today that uh, NBC is expected to make a major push, perhaps up to $1.1 billion for the Big Ten rights, uh, and that CBS, uh, which, who full disclosure, we work for, I guess not huh? anymore now, since we work for Paramount, uh, but... Uh, Still the same company. The same company. Yeah, okay, that, that's fair. We, it's, uh, just, CBS, it's just another new email address for us, that's all it is. <laughs> I'm still going to use CBS because more like from a media side, more people are like, oh, it's CBS. Cool. Like, um, like 
it, maybe this is part of that negotiation tactic too. Because I, if you have these non-conference games, you do have to split those rights with some other folks. Like Gene Smith is in favor of a nine-game conference schedule. I could tell you not every Big Ten AD is in favor of a nine-game conference schedule. Mm. It was, and I mean, one, Gary Bardo was like about a month ago talking, was the one that brought up they might go to eight games. Or they're, you know, it look it was looking like they were going to eight, and now Gene Smith's saying, you know, no, we're going to go nine. It's I don't know. It there's disagreement within the conference, I think, on it because I think that for some schools, the idea of a scheduling alliance with the Pac-12 and the ACC is attractive. For Ohio State, I think they prefer the ability like to play nine games, and then just if they want to schedule an SEC team, they could schedule an SEC team. I think that's kind of where Ohio State's coming from. And I also think Ohio State doesn't mind playing the extra Big Ten game because it's Ohio State. So it's yeah. probably going to be the better team in that game anyway. So I, and who's in be- favor of not playing Ohio State? Somebody in the other division. Because yeah. if you take it off, that's less of a chance or less often that we will be playing Ohio State. Yeah, but you so, know how I feel. Go to 10, go to 11, go to 12. I don't need non-conference games. <laughs> in the SEC, who is in favor of going to nine? It's Nick Saban. Saban. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always the guy who has the best team in the league who's who then gets to say as a talking point, hey, we play nine conference games, mm-hmm. right? Now, nine conference games for Alabama is not necessarily that much tougher. It's probably easier than some of the non-conference opponents they open the season with. Non-conference games for somebody else is quite a bit quite a bit tougher. Yeah. And like too, like people mention like, well, if you play nine conference games, that's an extra game that you could lose. Like, you know, if you have to play Purdue instead of East Tennessee State, that's dangerous. And it's true. There's a greater chance of losing. But the other side of that argument is for the teams like Ohio State, Alabama, those teams, the more games you play, the less margin of error as far as who the better teams are separating themselves from who the worst teams are. I also don't think Ohio State plays FCS teams. No, Big Ten teams, by and large, stop playing FCS teams for the most part. They still get a few every single year. Like There, there was a couple of years where they just didn't allow it, and then the games that were already scheduled, they allowed to stick, and then they've kind of laxed on that rule because some teams have started scheduling FCS opponents. But for the most part, the Big Ten doesn't do it, which I don't know if there's – if the like, I get it, but I think there's an argument for it, and there's an argument against it. I mean, you can – as long as you cycle uh, like a UConn or a – let's see – Southern Miss, Arkansas State, like they'll 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 grab somebody from the bottom thirty, right? Like bottom mm-hmm. thirty, bottom forty. But like Illinois is playing Chattanooga this year, and they moved that game to a Thursday night. By the way, is it, is it week one? <laughs> no, no, it's like their third game of the year. It's uh, they open with Wyoming, and then they get Indiana on a Friday night, and then I think they play Virginia. Then they're on a bye, and then they play. Chattanooga that Thursday coming off the bye. Really, what they did was they moved the game two days earlier to give themselves an extra two days to prep for Wisconsin. There you go. That's that's galaxy brain Burt right there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, bud, in your legal expertise, I need some help because three teams that were members that are going to be eventually members of the Sunbelt Conference, um, that would be Marshall, that would be Southern Miss, and that would be Old Dominion. They're leaving Conference USA. They're going to be arriving. Um, it, they're going to be arriving in the Sun Belt, making the Sun Belt. You know, James Madison's coming in too. We've talked about how the Sun Belt's moves in conference realignment. They're going to make it a, a pretty strong, uh, pretty strong conference with a stronger position in football probably than they are right now. But they, those three schools—Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss—all said, "You know, we're going to be out after this year." 
Now, the Conference USA bylaws suggest that they need to be out, they need to be in for at least one more season. So this is an early exit. This is the, a planned early exit for these three schools. The Conference USA League office even released a league schedule this week with those three schools on it for the 2022 season. So the Sun Belt and the Conference USA are currently disputing whether or not these schools will be playing a conference season in one league or the other. Now, Conference USA has uh, indicated that it will, ex quote, exhaust all necessary legal actions to ensure that those three schools, Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss, are going to stick around to participate this fall. What's, you know, we had exit fee fights uh, with Maryland's move to the Big Ten, lawsuits in competing counties and competing states. We saw that drag out for a very long time. Um, but this is a this is a rapid exit. Do you believe that this is going to end up causing any kind of like weird headaches going into the fall season? Like, what's the what's the legal angle on this when Conference USA says it's going to exhaust all necessary legal actions? Sure. So, uh, CUSA basically put that schedule out, in my opinion, to help its claim uh, that the three schools leaving would do irreparable harm. Uh, and they could try to file for an injunction to prevent uh, those schools from leaving for the Sun Belt. However, I think because it's like it's inevitability that they will leave and that the the remedy is already largely provided for with the exit fee in that deal. Uh, I think it's in my legal opinion, I think it's unlikely that the courts would grant them an injunction. Most likely. I, I, so it, I, they're probably not going to get an injunction. If I had a guess on this, and like I, I think that and, and look, the the remedy and the almost certain outcome of this is settlement. And courts are not really in a big rush to throw out injunctions when clearly like the remedy is one kind of already contractually <laughs> stipulated and number two, almost certain to be a settlement. Uh, so I think you'll see those schools in the Sun Belt this fall. Now, if you were a lawyer for the CUSA, would you recommend that they do it just so that way you would get paid for it? Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, we're gonna. I would, I would throw out five or six legal theories, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them. I will find a loophole. All it cost you is one hundred and fifty grand. <laughs> Exhaust all necessary legal action has to be the worst thing to you for you to hear from your attorney. So wait. <laughs> You're going to exhaust, you're going to read all the big books. Yep. You're going to go into that office with all the thick leather bound books. And you're going to read them all and charge me $500 an hour for them. Yeah. You see, those, there's also, you see those leadership bound volumes. Three of them are real. <laughs> there's kind of a leadership principle here too, right? Um, so CUSA's leadership screwed up and they were not proactive and CUSA for a while was a better league than the Sunbelt. And then the Sunbelt came and largely just outmaneuvered them. And so now Cusa's leadership has egg on its face. And uh, if you follow like any lawsuits against, you know, fire departments, police departments, municipal boards, a lot of things like that, uh, they very rarely, like school boards, they, they very rarely want to settle, at least initially, because settlements look bad uh, to the voters, you know, to your constituents. Hey, like we're admitting we did wrong. If you go to court and you lose, you can sort of defer to all oh, the crazy jury system with their ridiculous verdicts. Oh, like there's a there's a randomness element to that that you can kind of pass the buck to, unless the details of your case are really really bad that you don't want them out there in court. And, and that you know in that case settle. But there is sort of a thing that leaders of organizations do to sort of 
pass the buck on their failures in leadership or you know whatever they did that would make them liable or something. Uh, and I think you could see that at play here, right? That they're Cuse is saying this with his chest. They're being pretty pretty loud about this. And I wonder if it's not like, hey, uh, we screwed up. We're going to try to make it look like we screwed up a little bit less. Yeah, and the context here also includes that UTSA, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and Charlotte are all going to be leaving for the American Athletic mm-hmm. Conference. Now, they yes. have pledged that they're going to stay through 2022, but then they're going to leave after the 2022-2023 academic year. So this is very very much a... Uh, a period of transition and not necessarily in a good way for uh, for Conference USA. Yeah, they're losing a lot. This is like a, I mean, they're, I don't know. I, who did they, did they announce it, who they've added? I can't remember. There's a few more FCS schools they're adding, correct? Correct. James Madison? No, they got to the Sun Belt. No, they got the Sun Belt. But I just, I feel like, yeah, Conference USA is kind of in a position where it doesn't have anything to lose at this point. So it's kind of got to try. Um, You're left so it- to lose is probably the better way to put it. <laughs> Four new members for the start of the 2023 season, um, Liberty, Jacksonville State, New Mexico State, and Sam Houston. Oof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got some. Yeah. You've, you've, Sam Houston. Hey. You know. Yep. Good Good program. That's for sure. The Bearcats make deep runs in the FCS tournament. So. Not, not denying that. Just Good, good luck with that. Uh, coming up on the other side. We are going to open up the big old bag of mail, including bringing back a uh, familiar topic about Blue Bloods. Next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. One of my... uh one of my favorite off-season conversations that we had uh, last year was trying to define what blue blood meant in college football. You know, where do we draw the line? Is it do we lean heavier, heavier on the historical value, the precedents, the championships in the past, or, or do we need to look at the future? And we it was, it was a very good, good and entertaining discussion. And this uh, this brings something back. This is from Go Tigers four seventy eight. 
I always love the intros and the way you cover almost everything about the sport. There was so much about college football I didn't know before listening to this podcast. I have a pair of mailbag questions. Good luck, go Tigers. I mean, congratulations, go Tigers. We're going to hit them both. Number one, how long do Texas and Nebraska need to keep losing to no longer be considered blue blood programs, or do you think it has already happened? As a, my baseline principle here is that Texas has an eight-year either head start or extension just based on your national championship. Like a two-recruiting cycle or a you know eight- to ten-year kind of wiggle room because of, or even like in 2009, like we have not seen Nebraska reach the points that Texas reached in 05 and 09 in the 21st century. But Texas is a blue blood in the truest sense of the term in that it has so much money. And it's not going to not have a ton of money at any time soon. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like it's always, whether they're winning enough games or not, there's always going to be the potential where you could win there. Nebraska, I'd say you got about five more years unless to really kind of start showing something. How are we actually defining blue blood? That's, I mean, it's, I think that's what makes it interesting. I mean, it, I think that that is, those are the debates that make this stuff fun to talk about in the off season. Clearly Tom thinks that money and just sort of like spending power and, and what you can do as a big football machine is going to be a big part of blue blood. I think that I'm leaning a little bit more for on-field success and, and championship contention that you are a program that when you go around in conference play, all the other fan bases are fired up because beating you would represent beating the best. You know, the, the blue blood is like this, this is the measuring stick for what we want out of a college football program. I, in that sense, Nebraska's already slipped and it might've slipped when it made the move from the big 12 to the big 10. And that, you know, that being part of the um, intangible part of a blue blood, but, because Texas had a national championship team in 2005 and a team that played for the national championship in 2009, it feels like even by those uh, less financial uh, definitions, the, the amount of time that it would take for losing for Texas to lose it, I think it could be lost because you could be Texas A&M. Texas A&M has a lot of resources, but no one calls them a blue blood. It's got a lot of money. No one calls them a blue blood. They got a lot of history. But so Texas could become Texas A&M in the SEC. It's probably some, one of the risks that you make in terms of, you know, what you are in the sport of college football. But I think Nebraska, to your point, Tom, clock's ticking for us to, you know, really feel like this is one of the iconic uh, programs of the sport. Yeah, A&M. And, go. Well, A&M has some history, kind of like Iowa State has some history in that they're old, but they never won anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so I. I kind of look at it, I guess, if we're making our own definitions of, hey, does your team draw really big ratings? Or as as Chip said, like when, when they play an away game, do people still show up to watch them because of the name? Pretty much regardless of how good they are that year. I mean, people still go nuts for being Texas, and Texas has, hasn't been good for quite a while. Nebraska still draws pretty damn good TV ratings, and they haven't won a damn thing, you know, in a lifetime of, of current recruits, at least. When did when did Minnesota stop be, like like stop being a blue blood? Was that by the seventies? Like when like did Pitt stop being a blue post World War Two? Okay, like when did Pitt st- stop being a blue blood? 
70s? I would say, I mean, they were still pretty good. Like, we won a national title in, like, what, 78? Yeah. So, like, did it take to, like, the mid-90s? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, like, that's, like, 20-ish years. and But not only, like, like 20 years post-national title, but they also, uh, like, they, they went a quarter century without really doing much else. You know what I mean? Like, there weren't a whole lot of other good pit teams in the late 80s, early 90s, if I recall. Could be wrong on that. I'll, I'll Google it later and then probably not issue an apology. So um, like Tennessee's, if we use like that, I don't know if Tennessee was ever really a blue blood, but you, if by that clock, Tennessee winning the 98 title, your blue blood pass is expired. <laughs> like 30 years is yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. 20 um, to 30. I mean, again, the lifetime of a recruit or the lifetime of a current senior, even you like, you could say 23, 24, 25 years. We'll get with super seniors. No, but seriously, but it's a, a quarter century is, uh, is, has got to be considered like more than enough time to be able to to turn the page on that. If you do 30 years, it makes it very likely that the parent of the current recruit did not like see and remember your last title season. Mm -hmm. And to go backwards a little bit, not to stir up the hornet's nest again, but just kind of this, I think this is important because I think Nebraska is a good example and Texas is a decent example because it's moving conferences. Like, I I was you know we when we were talking about Oklahoma on Monday show we caught a lot of flack for our just our thoughts about it and me specifically saying that Oklahoma is still in that you know denial phase of the breakup but I, I I got a lot of heat from the Oklahoma fans talking about how you know how successful they've been and how they'll be fine moving conferences and it's like I subscribe to the idea that the past is the best predictor of the future but I don't know what that past means when you completely change your environment because. Right. All of Oklahoma's past has been in the Big 8, the Big 12 against those schools. That's where all your success was. We don't know how that's going to translate when you move to the SEC. And a great example of that is Nebraska. Because guess who else was a dominant program in the Big 8 and the Big 12? Nebraska. Guess what's happened in Nebraska after moving to the Big 10 West? And the Big 10 West is not the SEC, folks. So there's that's not to say Oklahoma or Texas have the same fate awaiting for them. It's just that you don't know because your past doesn't mean anything once you change your allegiance in your conference because you're playing a brand new set of teams. And I think that would fall into um, that idea that I mentioned of it, your arrival on campus is something that is big. You know, like that that is something where everyone is like this this program is coming. This is our opportunity to show that we are the best. And when you're in the Big 12 and Oklahoma's coming to town, that is what they get fired up for. And I think in conference realignment, great point, Tom. That is going to be something that makes um, that makes your arrival a little bit less impactful and does damage, uh, damage your brand and, and sort of the power of it just a little bit. And by those measurements, Nebraska might have already lost it because like when Nebraska first joined the Big 10, it was kind of cool. When it's like, you know, you'd see fan bases get pumped up like, oh, we're playing Nebraska, you know. And now Taylor the, Martinez, man. Yeah. He, he got these him days, a title game. These days, most of like Big Ten like fans are going up and down their schedule. They see Nebraska and they're like, oh, there's a win. Yeah. That is not blue blood. No. That, that is not blue blood if uh, if other opposing fan bases are, are chalking you up as a W. Uh, all right. So second question here. Of the teams with multiple playoff appearances who did not make it this year, which do you think will be back again in 2022? Those teams are Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. 
we remember this was the first visit for Michigan, first visit for Cincinnati, uh, all of the visits for Alabama, and uh, the second college football playoff appearance for Georgia. So of Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma, who do you think will be back in the college football playoff this season? Ohio State is the incredibly easy answer to this question. Oh, I, I think you should yeah. have multiples or at least be considering multiples. I, I just think that's a more interesting question if we eliminate Ohio State because I think that we're all going to think Ohio State's the most likely, right? Correct. I, I thought the same thing, like Ohio yeah. State or the field. Yeah. I feel like if we discuss between Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma is where this gets more interesting. So Clemson, Notre Dame, or Oklahoma, who do you have more faith in? <laughs> Who does Clemson open with? See, that's the thing, because there's so much change in all three of those programs and that both Oklahoma and Notre Dame have new head coaches. But while Clemson still has Dabo, they've got new coordinators on both sides of the ball. So there's tremendous turnover with both. I would probably still go with Clemson, though, because I feel like you either move on from DJ because you've got a better option or DJ improves, but it's just the rest of the ACC. Like, I don't think Miami's going to make a huge leap right away under Mario. I think North Carolina is probably going to regress a little bit. I think that Pitt, after losing Kenny Pickett, I know that they had Kadan Slovis come in, but I don't think Pitt's going to be as strong. So I, I just don't know what other program is really ready to kind of take the reins over this year from Clemson. So I do feel like they're at least best positioned to rebound and win the ACC, which would be a good path. Whereas I can't, I don't feel like Notre Dame still has to pretty much be damn near perfect to do it. And then Oklahoma, like the big 12, I think they're still the best team in that conference, but there's just, we don't know what they're going to look like just yet. Clemson plays at Notre Dame late in the season. Uh, That's going to be a big one to determine this. And Notre Dame also plays at Ohio State. The fact that Ohio State and Clemson are on Notre Dame's schedule Mm -hmm. has me eliminating Notre Dame, especially with that perfection requirement. Yeah. My my answer is Clemson. The one that I've got the least amount of confidence in, either good or bad, is, oh, hey, hey, Sooners fans. It's Oklahoma. I just have no, I have Yeah, Oklahoma could win the Big 12. Oklahoma could go eight and four. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a huge variance uh, team for me. Oh, I I think I have Oklahoma second and Clemson third and Notre Dame. Uh, I like I have the third place closer to the first place, which is to me like obviously Ohio State and Notre Dame is like. Uh, I guess I'll have Notre Dame fans in my mentions today. I I don't see I don't see them as being uh, in this discussion in this year. Maybe I'll be wrong, uh, but opening at Ohio State is a really tough game. At North Carolina is certainly not a gimme. BYU on a neutral site is definitely not a gimme. I think BYU mm-hmm. might be pretty good. Uh, they should beat Syracuse, but, but again, Syracuse is 14th in the country in returning production per Bill, you know, Bill Connolly. They do travel to USC. There is some chance that USC's offense, I, I don't have a lot of faith in USC's defense. I'm not really impressed with what they've done in the transfer portal defensively, but offensively, there's a chance USC might just be hanging a whole lot of points on, on a lot of folks. Uh, yeah, Oklahoma it, should be favored in every game, I think, even with all the turnover. It doesn't mean they're going to win every game. I mean, right. I wouldn't bet them like over 10 or anything like that. But uh, if, you, if you hung a like a nine. You but know, we've nine, got two new first-time head coaches in Marcus Freeman and Brent Venables. Brent Venables has a much more manageable path as a first-time head coach than Marcus Freeman has with that Notre Dame schedule. Yeah, Notre Dame feels like a nine and three team 
and then ten and two if things go really well. The nastiest nine and three team. Yeah, like a very like yeah, they'll be a they'll be a top ten like nine and three team because two of the losses will probably be to Ohio State and Clemson, and then maybe they lose to whether it's at USC or BYU or at North Carolina. Can we throw some shade on Oklahoma? Can we throw more shade? Yeah. I mean, why not at this point? At this point, we're dug in. I mean, it it might as well be the Iowa State offseason. We're no longer a Georgia pod. We are an Oklahoma ass or hating ass Oklahoma (laughs) pod. Man, those those fans are are passionate and I love it. And you guys, you guys help me pay my mortgage with your passion, and we really appreciate it. So um, look. I stand by what I said about Oklahoma. We don't know how the head coach stuff's going to work out. That's why I really hate doing coaching grades. But y'all love them. And this is why we do them, because it does engagement. Like, I've had to mute three or four threads now just because you get, like, the same people. There's one guy tweeting me, like, the same graphic just with a slightly different letter on it, like, every hour. <laughs> now, one thing I want to point out that I've seen here that we did not get to is that a lot of Oklahoma fans are assuming that their recruiting will get better when they go to the SEC. And the example they're using is largely Texas A&M which is a valid data point, but it is just one data point, right? Other teams who have gone to other conferences and seemingly moved up, their recruiting has not necessarily gotten better. You know, has West Virginia's recruiting gotten noticeably better relative to talent level? No, not necessarily. And so I do think that there is a chance that they are going to be in it for more prospects who may only consider schools in the SEC. Geographically, they're not really well well suited to recruit the SEC and if they start losing more like an average of, let's say, you know, 3.25 games a year, right, as opposed to their current where they, they lose generally one or two or occasionally zero uh, in the regular season, that will also start to affect your recruiting too. So, yes, you may get a bump for being in the SEC in name value, but if your season performance does not keep as what it was, that decrease in season performance could equalize that bump to where you're actually not recruiting at much of a higher level in the long term. Uh, let's keep it. Uh, next question here is from Allie. Allie says, love the pod. What is y'all's opinion on some of Marcus Freeman's hires at, at, at Notre Dame in the offseason carousel? None have been emergency pod worthy, but after initially expecting continuity, Freeman has had to hire almost an entirely new staff while fending off interest in Tommy Rees. I know Bud made a quick remark on Chancey Stuckey at wide receivers. Anything there? McCullough at running backs. Here, he stands. Harry, he stands. He's yeah. He stands. Uh, returns at offensive line. Al Washington at defensive line, or reportedly not official as of today. I think it is official, or should be soon. Al Golden as Notre Dame's defensive coordinator. Um, I think I saw in the chat earlier. We we probably need to add to this discussion a. Is Al Golden going to wear the tie? Is is Al is Al Golden going to rock some kind of some nice blue and gold tie, sweating through that white shirt as oh. as Notre Dame's defensive coordinator? I mean, it's not just the tie; it was how sweaty he looked in that <laughs> South Florida environment. That dude has got the shop back out. He, he looks like he works at Enterprise Rent a Car. He's trying to get that car clean for you. He's also the guy giving you your papers, asking you want to buy the insurance. All right, hey, today I got the uh, got got the Honda Pilot here, and I got I, I got the Camry. Which one do you want? All right, sorry that that the car you reserved it's late coming back. I desperately wanted Al Golden to be in one of those Enterprise Rent a Car commercials. You know, like hey, we'll pick you up because he looks like he works at the Enterprise counter when when he wears that that sweaty ass tie down there in Miami. Um, we did Photoshop him with the keys one one time back when I ran Tom Hawk, uh, but it was. Uh, I like Chancey Stuckey. 
I, I think that's a really good hire. I think Baylor was probably pretty annoyed to lose him. And uh, a lot of Notre Dame fans were not happy about that hire because they'd never heard of him. But I do think, guys, like fans fall in love with a specific coach that they think they're mm-hmm. going to hire. Yeah. Largely on the basis that the person at 24 7 Sports who does the reporting says, hey, this is a potential candidate. And then they Google him a little bit. And some guy they never heard of yesterday so awesome. is now their favorite. Yep. And so they're like, oh, we didn't get the guy we wanted, who I don't remember who it was now. Like, Isn't that also a how guy. a lot of fans do uh, signing day? Yes, 100%. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's one of us. We like him. He's great. This guy didn't want to come here. He's He didn't have the grades. Let's be real. He's just not smart enough to get into our school. <laughs> but, so uh, what, what do we think about Freeman's staff? I think, I, honestly, by and large, I'm, I'm good with it. I, the, the Al Golden one is... That was the bigger, biggest eyebrow raiser for me in that it's like, I, I don't know if I just can't get over like we were talking about the optics of him just sweating through all his shirts in Miami because like he did a very good job. He was the defensive coordinator of Virginia from 2001 to 2005. He was good there, but that's what got him the Temple job. And I thought he did an excellent job at Temple and obviously so did Miami. And that's why it hired him. But like ever since Al Golden left Miami in the 2015 season, he's been coaching in the NFL and he has not been a coordinator. So I it's there's some question marks to me there about he hasn't been at the college level and he hasn't been calling defenses and the college game has changed quite a bit since 2015. Now obviously a lot of those changes have followed to the NFL so it's still a lot of the same things but it's not the same thing. So it's going to be interesting there. Uh, we'll see if what kind of how much actual play calling he gets or if Marcus Freeman's still much more involved in the defensive side of that. But I also think that as far as recruiting goes, yeah, what's Gold, that side? Golden's background, you know, he's from New Jersey. He went to Penn State. I think that Notre Dame has always kind of prioritized that region of the country. So I think as far as the recruiting angle, I think Al Golden's gonna bring a lot from like, you know, that area of the conference or country. And he's also probably still has some ties in South Florida, though I don't depending on how they feel about that time in Miami, he may not be as welcome as he might hope to be. <laughs> yeah, he was a he was a weird cultural fit at Miami and came to Miami at a very difficult time. They were still mm-hmm. un- under some some pretty serious sanctions. And uh, I, I don't really think that Miami was as patient with him. Uh, and in fact, if I recall, weren't they not up front with him about what they knew was going to be happening? And and I think that it, like his part, his side kind of leaked that. I mean, this is going on more than a decade ago now, but uh, I think that got kind of leaked. Of like, hey, Golden's kind of pissed that <laughs> Miami probably knew this stuff was coming down and they didn't tell him. Um, if you look at his his career coaching record, right? Uh, so he played for Penn State uh, and then he was at Algro or at UVA and then came back and coached at Penn State and then coached at UVA again, which is Algro, who is a Saban guy. Uh, and then, you know, Temple he did his own thing. And then he goes and coaches for four seasons for the Lions. I believe those were Matt Patricia seasons. Mm-hmm. So that's more Belichick saving system yep. defense. Uh, and then I don't know who the Cincinnati Bengals uh, defensive uh, coordinator is, but he was their linebackers coach this past year. It does, man, like Wikipedia pages are, are kind of weird. Who was the defensive coordinator for, for the Bengals? Terrell, uh, no, not Terrell Austin. They fired him midseason apparently. Yeah, I can't remember uh, who took over the play calling, which you'd think you'd know, seeing as how they were just in, in the, the Super Bowl. Lou Anarumo. Lou Anarumo. defense at the end. There was only one Cincinnati Bengal who mattered to anyone who was watching the game. And he was Lou Anarumo is 
Okay, so Anarumo was uh, was he ever with? He's been he was Merchant Miami. Marine Academy in the nineties. Would that have been Belichick? No, no, Belichick was in the NFL the at that point. Harvard, Marshall, Purdue, Miami, New York. So no, I don't think there's really any kind of connections there. Other than like obviously Freeman being in Cincinnati uh, and Golden being in Cincinnati, they've probably like hung out or at least talked ball in, since mm-hmm. they're in the same city. Um, it wouldn't shock me if you know Freeman visited Bengals practice or whatever, uh, or if Golden was able to get over there and, and watch Cincinnati practice a good amount. My thought is like Freeman does not run a real saving type defense, but mm-hmm. if you want to get a guy who is pretty good with fundamentals and maybe can bring some of those saving type principles to what you do and maybe try to mesh them together a little bit. Uh, maybe that could work out pretty well. That could be interesting. Is Freeman still calling the defense? I don't know. I don't know what the plan is for that yet. I would, I would think that if you're hiring Al Golden, you are. No, I would, I think that Al Golden is probably going to be, but I don't know. I can't say with certainty what the situation there is going to be. I think he did in the bowl game but I'm not sure if he plans to for the upcoming season. Obviously, that was before the Al Golden hire was announced. I will say, I feel like most head coaches should just be head coaches. Just in general? Because I think it's hard to like call a defense while trying to run a bunch of other things because defense is so reactionary that you kind of have to wait and be quick. And I think it would just be too distracting for a head coach. But I don't know. I mean, some, some do it. Some do it well. I just I think that optimally, if... In my situation, if I'm hiring a head coach, I want him to be the head coach and let his coordinators coordinate. Gary Patterson is always the name that comes to mind when I think about because there's some some offensive, you know, I'm the play caller and the head coach. I don't know a lot of the defensive ones, but I know that Patterson uh, held on to that all the way through the end of his tenure at TCU. I know Levy Smith was the Illinois defensive coordinator the last few years there, but that was simple because it was just cover three, 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 strip the ball, cover three, cover three, cover three. Yeah, easy easy play calls there for the Fingalina defense. All right, one more here. This one is from Dirt Mike. What's up, Dirt Mike? You and Bill Connolly forgot to mention how Kansas is in the top 10 of returning production. Plus, they added some key transfers and positions of need. Odds that they don't finish last in the Big 12 next year. <laughs> Not great. Um, I think, here's the thing. I think Kansas is going to be better this year. I think that there were those kind of signs last year when you watch it. That was a team that was improving as the season went along. And I think that they made the right hire, and I think that they're heading in the right direction. It's just, I think the gap between them and the next worst team in the Big 12 is still pretty significant and not the kind you can make up in one season. And if you look at their schedule, like their non-conference is Tennessee Tech, which we can't just assume they're going to win, at Houston and Duke at home. And then in Big 12 play, which is what's going to matter, like West Virginia's on the road, Oklahoma and Baylor are on the road, and Texas Tech and Kansas State are on the road. Oklahoma and Baylor, or you're probably losing anyway. But like West Virginia, Texas Tech, Kansas State, those are the teams that you're kind of going to be competing with for, you know, ninth place or whatever. So to have to play all of them on the road, that's really going to impact your ability to not be in last. That said, you might win one or two conference games this year, but you'll probably still finish in last if you do. Yeah, I. this is kind of like how we talked about how Vanderbilt is the most improved team in the SEC, almost certainly, and yet it like, might not still show. A, yeah. yeah, there's still a 70-team gap. 
between them and the next best team. I mean, it, obviously, power ratings are not the you know the be all end all in February. But if you look at Conley's stuff, he has Kansas at 115th as by far the most approved team in the Big 12, uh, and West Virginia at 66th. So the issue here is you play around Robin. Mm-hmm. So you like in in leagues that don't, you have a chance to duck somebody, and maybe you don't have to play in Oklahoma or whatever. Um, but in the Big 12, you play everybody, so nobody's ducking anybody except you. Unfortunately, get the worst end of it because you don't get the Kansas does not get to play Kansas. Everybody else gets a, a either a freebie game or a game that you you don't have to play your A game to win. So I think that the I was looking at it as it was a two game difference basically. It does Kansas's returning production mean enough to make up the two game difference between the other teams in that bottom tier, Texas Tech, TCU, and Texas? Yes, those were the teams in the next bottom tier in the Big 12 standings this past season. But are you going to be able to make up those two games against Texas Tech, against a TCU? You mentioned West Virginia. They were four and five last year. I don't, I don't think it's two games. I think it could be one game. This could be a Kansas team that goes uh, two and seven in conference play instead of one and eight. But I, I don't see it being uh, to the point where you're going to get, uh, obviously the Texas win was not fluky. It was a great win for Kansas football, but to imagine that they're going to be able to repeat that, um, I think it's a tall order. They can get a Texas tech TCU, West Virginia, you know, maybe, maybe they do catch a, an Iowa state, a Kansas state. But I think that the idea that we're going to go from one to three, uh, in this current Big 12, I think is is a little bit tough. So the odds of not finishing last to answer the question from Dirt Mike, not good. We spent more time talking Kansas football on this national college football podcast than I think most Kansas podcasts start spend talking about Kansas football. I, I'm almost certain about that. I mean, this what what do you think the Kansas podcasts are talking about right now? Not football. Not football. I mean, like, how many players on Kansas do you think other national podcasts can can name? And do we get credit for talking about the G five? We talk about Kansas if nobody else talks about Kansas. <laughs> like when the when the comment comes in in the review, it's like, I, I love y'all for all the national takes. Wish you got a little more group of five, but I totally get it. And so everything you do is great. It's like, well, we are talking about Kansas. Because <laughs> losing Kansas makes you a blue button. It is a it yeah, is a requirement. It is. Yeah, this is no longer a Georgia podcast. This is a a pro Kansas anti Oklahoma podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes. Are you comfortable with that, Bud? A pro Kansas anti Oklahoma podcast. I mean, at, at least through March Madness. Is is Kansas good in basketball this year? They are excellent yes. in basketball this okay. year. All right. I, I they they almost always are. They 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 were on that list that I said where there's seven or eight teams that have what it takes to win six games in the NCAA tournament. Kansas Jayhawks are on it. Yeah, now, will, Kansas will at fourteen to one. You have Kansas at fourteen to one. Yeah, this is what the listeners want. I've got Kentucky at fourteen to one, Arizona at fourteen to one, Kansas at fourteen to one, and that's it. Yeah, freebie for the uh, for the live viewers right here. Oregon State being a twenty four point underdog in a game that's going to be tipped at the afternoon local time is preposterous. This is, is a, that a conference thing? game. Come on. But also, didn't Oregon State like reach the Elite Eight last year? They did. Beaver Fever. Yeah, you can't Beaver just really? was on fire. Oh, yeah, they did. You can't. They were hitting like, I think Oregon State in the NCAA tournament last year shot like 70% from three. 
throughout and, the and, entire and thing. Turned every game into a rock fight, played really good oh. defense. And Wayne Tinkle got a $17 million extension out of it. And you know how many games they've won this year? Three. Do you know how many games they've won in the 2022 calendar year? Zero. <laughs> and we're going to ride with them plus 24. Hell that's yeah, we are. Points. You know, just walk into... Actually, no, they're playing it at Arizona, so never mind. <laughs> yeah, you you might get boat raced in the McHale Center, but yeah, you could very 24 is too many daggum points. We are principled <laughs> here on the Cover 3 podcast. Ken Palm's got Arizona by 29, so oh Because <laughs> <laughs> it opened at 26, and there's too many other people like, no, 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 we, got, we can't stand for this. Let's go. Are be the ratings... Are the power ratings for basketball this year like as jacked up as they were in 2020 for football with all the COVID misses and stuff? No, they're pretty much what you th- what they should be. So, although the my the funny thing in me, we're getting way in the weeds here now. Is like what Providence is ranked what eight or ninth chip in the country? Yeah, in, in the AP poll, the AP poll, they're uh, like eighth or ninth. Yeah, one of the two. Ten. Ken Palm's got them 44th. Yeah. And and the luck rating, they were number one. They might have dropped to number two. They still are. No, they are still number one. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. It's fun. So mm-hmm. I, I like handicapping college basketball. New, new stuff. Anyway, that ends the college basketball corner here on the Cover 3 podcast. Go listen to the Eye on College Basketball podcast with Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander. Uh, I'm, I'm a regular subscriber, listener. Uh, I do enjoy it, and they do a fantastic job covering the sport. Um, and it's, It is going to be must-listen through all of March Madness, and, and really even starting now. They get you covered three times a week. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Forza Napoli. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.